There are some things in life you can't do alone. Like, have a party. Something should not be attempted without the help of others. Your spiritual journey is one of them. When it comes to God, we're definitely better together. Oh, 
so fast. I don't think any of those kids have any clue that there are other kids on the team. And again, I couldn't get it. And it was every day. Just a couple years older. And all of a sudden, they're beginning to buy it. Yes, I should be tall. But they looked like a team. They were passing. They were in position. All of a sudden, it's beginning to look like soccer. And it was always soccer. But they're beginning to look like a home soccer game. And this makes me think of this summer when I watch, I think, the best soccer I have ever seen when I watch the Women's World Cup. I hope it's one of you guys have watched it yet because it's a beautiful game. Took the trophy. And I was just blown away the teamwork from those guys. Uh, I mean, they had a couple games where they had to play without people. They didn't have to be because they weren't just the starters. Their entire roster um, was ready to step in. And they all played a role. And I, saw, I heard interviews with some of these ladies and just the, how they just relied on each other and how much they loved each other. And I looked at them, and I didn't see individuals. I saw a team. And I was just blown away. And I think the entire nation is here. Well, if you watch soccer, uh, I don't normally watch soccer, but I did for the World Cup. I was like, blown away at this team and how they were able to thrive at what they did. And how they were able to thrive by winning the World Cup. That's your goal, to help give them the tools to be able to make your World Cup happen. And as I'm looking back, I'm thinking, wow, I'm inspired by something like Friends, um, we aspire to something much greater than the World Cup for Ethiopia. God wants us to help. He doesn't want us to just stay quiet by ourselves. He wants us to help. And to do that, we need to thrive in our relationships. We're on a mission for something much greater than the World Cup. See, we're on a mission to love Jesus Christ, to be, to, to live Jesus life, and to lead others. Of advancing the gospel in Africa and hurting the world. And we're better equipped to accomplish that. And we need each other for that mission. So we're going to talk about relationships this morning, and we're going to do that through the lens or, or by, by looking at the book of First Peter. Uh, you'll note um, on the screen here, I didn't give you a verse number. I didn't give you a chapter, I just said first Peter. That's because this morning we're going to go through the entire book of First Peter. You know how you know, Jesse's been leading us through Mark, and we've been doing that for a year and a half. Today we're doing a book in an entire morning. And don't worry, I promise I will get you out before dinner. No, just kidding. We're, uh, we're going to kind of jump around in First Peter, and uh, we're going to look and see what he has to say about relationships in a few key parts. And, um, and that we're going to do this sermon a little differently. I've kind of bounced around a bit. Um, but I think you'll get a sense of what Peter's trying to say. And um, as he says many incredible things in this book about the Christian life, uh, but one theme that pops up over and over and over again is that we need each other, and that relationships are important. So, First um, Peter, uh, I've got a page number on there, I don't know if you can read, I can't even read that, page 1364 to 1368, if you've got one of those blue Bibles in front of you, kind of in the back there, if you've got Revelation, you've gone too far. But I'd encourage you to just have your Bible open, and the entire book is kind of just in one page. So we'll look at a couple of verses there, and we'll really just dig in a couple of pages. So what is this letter? Well, who was Peter? We hear a lot about Peter in the Bible. Peter was, um, he was the apostle that we, we hear the most about in the Bible. Uh, he was close to Jesus. He followed with Jesus, or he followed Jesus um, with his entire life. He was very close, and Jesus said, Peter, I'm this rock. Uh, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. 
the great things in store for Peter. And Peter wrote some letters. And so we have 1 Peter and 2 Peter, which preserves some of the letters that he wrote to the early church. You know, Jesus had crucified, died, and rose again, ascended into heaven. Then the apostles would, were to advance the gospel and to start the church. And the church was spreading like wildfire. They were going into unknown places, hostile places, lots of different places. Um, and you've got Paul and Peter and John writing letters to these believers and encouraging them and, and giving them guidance and for the Christian life. And so that's what we have here in First Peter. Before I go any further, though, let's take a little prayer. verses uh, of 1 Peter. A lot of times you can understand a lot about it in the letter just, just by reading the introduction, which we often gloss over, and then I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what Peter's audience. It says, From Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those temporarily residing abroad, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by being set apart by the Spirit for obedience of Jesus Christ's glory. May grace and peace be yours in full abundance. So who was Peter the Apostle writing this? A lot of times the letters are addressed to a certain account or a certain person. But Peter is writing to a bunch of Christians scattered in a bunch of communities. He's, he's writing to Christians who are, well, the net version it says, um, to those temporarily residing abroad. Looking at another translation, would say to those strangers in the world, those who are scattered. So these are people who are far from home, uh, in hostile territory, marginalized, isolated. And that's who Peter's writing to. And so he writes them and encourages them and reminds them of what Jesus has done for them and encourages them in their spiritual growth. scattered. Some of you may be saying, well, I've lived in Oklahoma my entire life. Um, so are my parents, so are my grandparents. So, I mean, this is, this is home. Um, but we all, as Christians, live in a world that is hostile to the gospel, and that hostleness is increasing, in, increasing and increasing. And even in our own homes, as we've been in, in our entire lives, it's beginning to seem more foreign and strange. And so, yeah. You know, persecution is a word that comes to mind in this letter. Maybe some of you experienced some of the persecution. I think of persecution more as what's going on in China and Christians in Iran and stuff like that. But I can, I would guess that some of you are marginalized as Christians. Um, and more and more evident in the news, and we're seeing the arguments rise up again. You know, for the Pledge of Allegiance, let's believe the under God thesis. We're seeing that this this week in America. But that's the thing that we that we live in. We live in a hostile. We are marginalized and isolated. We are often alone. It's just funny how we can be surrounded by people all the time. Surrounded by noise and voices and social media and what's on TV. You know, it can be a time 
prospects we have in front of us and the more competing voices, the more we can commit to that. And I think we can certainly, uh, we do share that in common with the early church in Antioch. We were marginalized and isolated. And we do the same thing today. So that's who First Peter was writing to. That's who Peter was writing to. Um, and chapter 1 begins, and it says powerful things about the resurrection and about what Jesus has done. And then it moves into how, because we are in Christ, because we are united to Christ, how then shall we live? And it, it, it moves on to one of the most famous, well, the most famous verse from this book, and it says, uh, you shall be holy because I am holy. Because we serve holy God who is set apart from the things of this world, we should also strive to be Christ-like and to be transformed more and more in His image and be more, and to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed to be more like Jesus. Be holy because He is holy. And it talks about all these things about individual Christianity, and it climaxes here at the end of chapter 1 with some powerful things said about relationships, about community. It moves from the individual to the community very fast and very intentionally at the end. So let's look at... um, says, you have purified your souls by obeying the truth in order to show sincere mutual love. Just love one another. Earnestly. From a pure heart. You have been born anew, not from perishable, but from imperishable seed. Through the living and enduring word of God. We could move on to the next slide. This is the first thing that, it, that I believe Peter is saying about community. And it's powerful. your souls by obeying the truth. You have purified your souls by obeying the truth. Um, if, what is obeying the truth? Well, that means when we first came to Christ, when we first trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we were converted as Christians, that's obeying the truth. And then we became pure. Before we were in Christ, we were not pure. But then we are pure because of Jesus, because the pure Lamb has died in our stead. So that's what this is talking about. So essentially, this is saying, because you are now Christians, um, you are now Christians in order to show sincere mutual love. Later, as it goes on to talk about being born again, because you are Christians, you're to show mutual love. Another powerful connection. It doesn't say uh, love is something that Christians do. It says, because you are Christians, therefore, isn't an option. We need to do this. The Christian life is a relationship. Christian life is a relationship. That's not something we can ignore. So the Christian life is a relational life. A changed life leads to a changed relationship with our neighbor. Because we are born again, because we are changed by the Holy Spirit, that changes the way we act for the better. It's not always easy. I want you to note here, it's a short little verse, but I want you to note how it's connected to some of our other core values that we've been talking about. Just a few verses later, beginning in verse, or chapter 2, verse 1, it says, after talking about community, it says, So get rid of all evil and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and yearn like newborn infants for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up to salvation. 
what his spirit says. So in verse 22 and 23, it's talking about community. And it, it is saying, uh, you are born again. And then here, just a few verses later, it's talking about uh, as in your new birth, you are to grow. It means you grow in that, in that connected community. Also, in verse 23, it talks about um, the role that the enduring word of God has to play in our relationships. These core values that we have now just don't get to be chosen just randomly. It's four things we think that are important. And we're all work together in this tradition. Let's continue to move forward. This is the first time Peter's mentioned community, but again, it comes with a question. We see here, though, that the Christian life is a relational life. All right, now let's move forward to verse 4 and 5 of chapter 2. Peter says some cool things that may be tough to understand, uh, but powerful when we read them. And so, so as we come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and priceless in God's sight, you yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What a community we have. Talking a lot about stones. I guess we shouldn't be surprised since this is the one that says, here, on this rock, I will build my church. With the whole rock metaphor has kicked in early in Peter's life. Jesus talked a lot about temples and buildings. Jesus is the living stone. And not only that, but we are also living stones. We are living stones connected to the living stone. It's powerful to know that we have that connection to that Savior. But as a spiritual house, that means that we as living stones, we are connected to each other. Imagine a grand wall that you might have seen and how each piece fits together perfectly on that wall. So when you look at a wall, you don't see individual stones. You see a wall. Powerful. There's a story, a Spartan, Spartan uh, king who went to war, and another king approached him. He said, I've heard of this great wall of Sparta, but I don't see any buildings around. I see no wall. And uh, the Spartan king says, points to his army says, this isn't a wall. Each spear doing each spear of stone doing its part. That's what we are. We each do our part. We all have a purpose as stones in the spiritual house that God that God has made. We are transformed as a living stone that becomes part of this great wall of the spiritual house connected to our Savior Jesus Christ. Why did God design I looked at this imagery and I know it's important. Uh, he talks about us being a spiritual house. He talks about the family of God. He talks about body metaphor. You know, we are, you are one body and each person is a member in the body. Why, why is this so important to God? I think it's because it gives us a glimpse of who He is. You see up here, point number two about why we value relationships. Christian relationships illustrate spiritual realities. When we come together in community, we are being an illustration of who God is. You know, I don't, uh, I don't understand the Trinity. If you talk to anybody that completely understands the Trinity, like 100% understands the Trinity, how it works, I don't know. I, 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 man, I trust issues with that person. 
Uh, I know a lot about the Trinity. I know what God's Word has to say about the Trinity. One God, three persons. Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. But Jesus is not the Spirit. Jesus is, and the Spirit is not the Father. And that's a tough reality for me to get, get in my head. These are things we can ask God about later, but we don't know exactly how it works. We just know that it's there and that it works. Um, but God is team. That's one thing that I learned about the Trinity. And then we come together as a team, as one body, as a spiritual house, and, and we experience oneness together in our relationships. Uh, when we grow in relationships, uh, we get a glimpse of how God is team. Not in the same way. There's no illustration that ever um, will be perfect that it's going to be team. But God is, God is one, and we are one. We are living stones in the spiritual house. When we thrive in our relationships, we reflect the image of, the, the image of God, not just as an image, but as one. So I look at this passage about living stones, and I also can see that we have significance and purpose as individuals that can't be lived out apart from one another. Um, God has designed each one of us in a specific way, and it's so cool to see how we each have gifts and how God is how God uses each one of us in our lives. Uh, but I am blown away. I've been to many churches because I've moved around many, many, many times, and I'm blown away that every time you've got the people from all over. God forth people with different gifts and just the right gifts. I mean, we're not a huge church, but I see so many different gifts and so many different passions um, that we come together and just have formed this, um, this incredible house that moves together. It's powerful to see how, yes, we have purpose as individuals, um, but we've got a very important purpose to be used in community, to be used in relationships with each other. relationships are rich stones, spiritual realities, and that's how we live in our relationships with each other. Um, jumping down a little bit, First Peter, just a few, First Peter 2, chapter 9, uh, Peter provides more powerful metaphors about who we are in our relationships and our community. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, hoil, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. This imagery is important of who we are, who we're designed to be together and grow in relationships. Third point is we need each other. And we're going to see that strongly in chapter 4. Verses 7 through 11. Relationships are important because we need each other. I mean, Peter keeps on, he talks about something in the spiritual life and he comes back to community. He talks about growth in this way and he comes back to community. This is a thread all throughout this letter. Community is important. It's not just something we do. And we see that here in verse 7 through 11. For the culmination of all things is near. So be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of prayer. Above all, keep your love for one another fervent, because love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Whoever speaks, let it be as God's word. Whoever serves, do so with the strength that God supplies, 
so that in everything God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Do you get the urgency in this passage? There's urgency all over the place. There's end time language up front. Of course, this is 2,000 years ago, but a whole new era had been issued in. And now that Jesus Christ has risen and the church is unleashed to the nations to make God known, we know for sure that we, we live in a time where we're getting closer and closer to the end times. I don't know if it's tomorrow or, or hundreds of years from now, but the urgency increases every day. And knowing that Jesus will come again means two important things. That we have a mission to make God known to all people in our lives. And that hostility will continue to grow in this region and portion of the Christian church. So there's urgency here. And we need each other. And we can't waste time not being loving to each other and fighting amongst ourselves. That just gets in the way of our mission. And it gets in the way of our ability to be people of love as we are called to be. We need to have such an urgency that we see here that Peter has. And what is he saying? He says, love fervently. I like that word. I've used that word before. I don't know that I know what that means. But it's a powerful word. I know that. Uh, some other words that could be used uh, in place of fervently. Uh, tenacious. Love tenaciously. Intense. Persistent. us to love in a powerful way. That's the language here. And the imagery, so the term that Peter used here in the original language and is used elsewhere outside of the Bible often to describe in races, you know, like, like in a horse race where it's a close race and the horse is getting to the finish line and the rider with every inch of his body, every inch of his strength is, is lunging towards the finish line. Or, or, or just a runner himself who is using every bit of his muscles that he can to get that last out push toward the finish line. That's what it means, love fervently. To give more than we even think we can give in our love. And so then it goes on. P- Peter uses a peculiar s- statement here um, that I'm not sure I understand at first glance. He says, above all, keep your love for another fervent because love covers a multitude of sins. What does this mean? Well, if I'm just, at first glance, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this. I'm, I'm asking the question, does this mean that, that uh, love gets me off the hook for my sins? If I love other people, does that cover my sins in that, that way? No, that's not what Peter's talking about. We know that from elsewhere in the scripture that says our sins are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And if we turn to him, we are forgiven. End of story. So that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about dealing with our own sins. doesn't mean that we ignore sin. I know that's not what it's talking about. God takes sin seriously. God is all loving, but God is also justice. Sin separates us from Him. Sin, um, sin is a terrible thing. God does not want us to ignore sin. doesn't mean that we minimize sin either. We do have to take sin seriously. doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye. 
Lord means that we're broken people in love hard. Let's look at this quote that I have. I love how this commentator helped me out with this verse and show how we can love in a way um, how love covers a multitude of sins. Love hides sin from its own sight, its own sight, and not from God's sight. Hate does not sin. It cries about in order to discover sin, some sin, some semblance of sin in the brother, and then broadcasts it, even exaggerates it, gloats over it. What this tells me is that to love fervently, because love covers a multitude of sins, it tells me that we have to acknowledge the fact that we are all broken people. When we need to spur each other on in this Christian life, when we need to help people, help them journey, uh, navigate this life in, in a way that encourages them to not sin, and, it, and, uh, um, and sometimes we need to have tough love and, and uh, um, you know, help people get real about their sin, together for a common purpose uh, to accomplish God's mission. We're in this together. That's what family is. I think that uh, it prompts us to love fervently in a way um, well, we need to create community that is safe and that where where we can say um, what we can say to each other. I'm not okay. You're not okay. cheesy, kind of hokey, but it's, but it's, I think it's really important. We need to be in community in this Christian life. I'm not okay, you're not okay, and that's okay. Matter of fact, I like to probably hit this one for, uh, why don't you all repeat after me? Okay? Because this is important stuff. Um, I'm not okay. You're not okay. So then the rest of this passage gives some um, some great examples about how we can love fervently. The first thing I see here in verse, um, where am I, 9, uh, talks about hospitality. Hospital, show hospitality to one another without complaining. I think this church excels in hospitality and uh, bringing people into their homes and being gracious in that way. Um, when I look closely at this verse, hospitality without this tells me is that um, love looks after others even when it's inconvenient. That's hard to do. When I have advance notice, I can love you to the bank. Or when, when something just pops up and it, and it interferes my schedule, my plans, 
what I got going on, it's tough. It gets really tough. I can think of a lot of things. Well, continuing on the next example, the way we speak. It says, whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. How do we do that? How do we speak with God's words? These are words that encourage. Words that build up and not break down. Words that spur each other on to love and good deeds. Also says we need to use our gifts to serve one another. We need to love fervently. I see, I see loving fervently in this church all the time. You know, before my family and I even got here, we had people loving us fervently, making sure our needs were taken care of, and uh, people interrupting their own move to, to come and help me move, and all sorts of loving fervently going on, and it makes me feel lucky. And also think of other examples. There was a family that, that left, that didn't show up to the volunteer appreciation dinner, uh, which, of course, they were being honored along with every other volunteer, um, to go be with another family at the hospital. And uh, I can also think of the man who picked up, uh, picked up the check for the woman with children across the restaurant. Uh, even though they were struggling financially as well as he got out of there. And I can also think of the lady um, that, even though the tutoring program was done, continued to meet and invest in the young child and make sure that there are so many things that I could go on and on and we just don't have time. But you know what? For each one of us, um, to love tenaciously and to love fervently, Never be content in the way we are. Um, the fourth reason um, that we value relationships is kind of hidden in, in passages that we have already looked at. It's community. Chapter 4, verse 11. Whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. Whoever serves, do so with the strength that God supplies so that in everything God will be glorified him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. So that in everything God will be glorified. I turn back to chapter 2, and it is talking about the priesthood of believers. In verse 9, it says, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When we gather together in community, we can make God known. That's so important. We're called to be ambassadors. We're called to be a light into the world. You know what? I love what we do here Sunday morning in church. I love what goes on Wednesday. I see communion here in a powerful way. I see relationships here. But the people that really need Jesus, for the most part, aren't here on Sundays and Wednesdays. Community isn't just a Sunday morning ceaseful. I mean, this is an everyday of the week type of activity. And when we take community into the world, when we do life together and others are able to see it, that is appealing to people. Whether they know it or not, when we love one another fervently in the world, all of a sudden they're open to the gospel. Our hospital role didn't start happening. I mean, that sounds, that's rough. That's a powerful statement, but man, you see the stuff how big it is. And when we quote, quote scripture, there's a lot of hate that we get in return. Talk about Jesus and hate blows my mind. Jesus is all love, but this is, that's, that's what's coming back at us. They won't step foot in our churches. 
be the church and we can show community and we can do God's love to provide the foot and the direction for people so they can see Jesus in this moment. And this Bible is a beautiful thing that can change and transform their lives and that the church is an incredible thing to be a part of. Authentic community is compelling. And the more hostile our culture gets, I think the more important it is to be light in the world. You know, I can think of the example um, recently that came to mind when the Hill family moved and all sorts of people from the church came and helped them out. And I saw a Facebook post from their realtor and I'm like, this is just, I love working with this family. They're just an incredible family. And they are. I mean, that Jeff guy, he's just all right. But the rest of the Hills are awesome. But, um, and they're like, and it was evident to how incredible they are because of millions of people that showed up to help. And I'm just thinking that there's a whole community in the church out in the world loving each other. We value relationships because the Christian life is relational. Because Christian relationships illustrate spiritual reality. Because we need each other. Because authentic community is vital. So how can we respond? What is your next relational step? Each one of us has them. Each one of them is different. And they never stop. How can you take a next step in relationships? And there's the answer is so diverse. I can't even get into all the possibilities. Uh, if you are new... to get connected. I'm not talking about, if you're brand new, I'm not talking about rushing into anything, but uh, we're getting to know people the best way we can. That's the church. Love our worship services. And if you want to know this week, be sure to change your speaker. Um, if this is your first time, come, come meet us. Or any pastor Jeff knows in the service. Um, it's it's an easy next step for you. Uh, or, or if you're looking at other churches, just get plugged in somewhere. You need to get connected. We get phone calls from people all the time asking for help. And it's so sad when it's somebody that we don't know. And if that happens, um, if it's somebody we don't know at all, it's somebody who's just kind of lukewarm in the church showing up from time to time, we will do the best to be the church for you. Um, But we can't love you the way we would really want to if we know people and we have a relationship with them. Uh, We have Bible communities. Those are a great first step in your Maybe more focused on study, generally. I mean, they all kind of take a different shape, and some have more relational connection than others. Um, but they're a great first step if uh, our small groups are maybe a little scary for you as far as uh, uh, jumping into that. Um, but Sunday morning, Wednesday evening, if you're a lady, Tuesday morning, these great steps just to know people, make relationships. Um, the other thing we can do, move around, sit in new places. Wednesday night, find a new table uh, to go sit at. Um, just meeting more people um, and serving together. Uh, serving together is it combusts community. Um, some of my greatest friendships are people who I just serve with. Uh, Good News Festival, we have different people serving in different ways and different buses. And we serve. The best thing about that is I got to serve with different people who I don't normally serve with. So I got to meet different people. Sometimes we got to get out of our box, too, from you know, where we're comfortable. And then community groups, the last one I'll mention. These are our small groups. Uh, they generally meet in homes. And uh, we, we've got many community groups. Some have been going for a long time. Some have been recently formed. Uh, but we believe that the best, uh, best way to do life together is, is in a small group of people. Um, and I know that you know, not everybody's doing
you're given capacity for small groups or whatever, uh, but I would encourage you to give it a try if possible. Um, because that's when you learn about uh, giving life to people in small groups. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about small groups, the next two Sunday nights, tonight and next Sunday, here, 5.30 to 7, in the fellowship building, uh, we're going to have something called Discover Community, which is real laid back. Just come. Maybe give me a heads up so I can order pizza accordingly tonight. But uh, you don't have to. You can just come. 5.37. And we'll talk a little bit more about what community groups are. Um, and then after the second week, um, if you're interested in taking that next step, we'll, we'll talk about what the, the right group might be for you. So discover community each of the next two Sundays. That's the church we desire to thrive. We want to be many organizations, strong relationships that join us and spur each other on to love and good deeds, advance the gospel, and lastly, Lord, that we need each other. The church needs you to grow, continue to grow in your relationships. We need you. Let's pray. Lord, you are God, and you are your church. We are your people. Traditions we have yet to see you here connected to each other practically. Awesome to see those relationships grow and to take shape and to see how you move in the church. Lord, give us wisdom to take relational next steps, to be there for people, and for us to be loved by neighbor. We need you, Lord. Lord, all these things. with a purpose connected to be living stones, connected to each other.